Brian Ministries International presents Todd Talks, featuring Todd Edwards. Awesome. Heavenly Father, we bless you and adore you. We thank you for access into your heart, access to your throne, access before your face, access to hearing your voice. For our desire is to diligently seek and hear your voice and obey your commandments. We want to be enveloped in your love. We want to receive your love so that we can love you back and love others. Our heart for this study is that you would be present. That is always our heart, for we know that we are no different than anyone else in the world unless you are with us. And your word says, and we hold you to your word, where two or three or more are gathered in your name, you are in the midst. So we invite your presence. We welcome your presence and, and ask that you would clean our hearts, that our temples would be worthy and inviting to you. That you would come and take your, your place seated upon the throne of our hearts. And that you would dwell and make yourself manifest and make yourself known that we wouldn't just hear about you, but we would experience you today. So Yeshua, you are the word. And we know that the testimony of you is the spirit of prophecy. So spirit of prophecy, come forth today. We invite the living letters to come in to cause the frequency of this meeting to be the frequency of heaven and to bring revelation to the word. For in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the same in the beginning was with God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You said you and the father would come and make your abode in us and would never leave us or forsake us. So come and make your dwelling place in our hearts. I thank you for everyone here. May you be a hedge of protection round about us in all realms and dimensions. We block all attacks from the enemy in all ways. May your heavenly host stand guard shoulder to shoulder, fully armed and equipped, ready to pierce through the enemy with blood-dipped arrows. That this would be a meeting place of peace and richness under the shadow of your wings. We thank you for this time and in the world's events that we are here. For this is the time that the prophets all looked into and inquired of. So we are blessed and privileged to be your tools and vessels, your servants, your friends, your sons and daughters, and your bride in this time and season. So Holy Spirit, have your way. We declare this Bible study blessed in Yeshua's name. Amen. Isaiah 63. And before we get into Isaiah 63, um, sometimes I start off with a few thoughts. And I, I want to start off with a few thoughts, especially going back to, to last time. And last time, 
There's someone asking for the link. There's so much going on in the earth. I, want, I wanted to share some things as well uh, about this. Keep focused in the third heavens. What is happening all around us is a, almost a reflection of folks that are that just operate in the second heavens. And that is a great place in terms of having your spiritual eyes and ears awakened and your senses awakened. But you hear conflicting uh, strategies, conflicting tactics, conflicting plans, conflicting voices all over the place. And that's what's made, being made manifest onto the earth now. It's almost like the second heaven has kind of dropped and started to manifest onto the earth. And that's part of why God has a veil to protect us from all of that chaos in that. And Paul talks about this in, in Second, Thessalonians, uh, Second Thessalonians, where at some point in time, that's going to be removed. So the chaos that we hear now and see now is just a sampling of what happens when that veil to the second heaven is released. And all of that second heaven and the first heaven start to mesh. And it will be absolutely chaotic. Unless we rise above it and have our peace and our understanding in our hearing and our seeing in the third heaven. And that's the place that we have to be in as much as we can as we're operating in the second heaven and the first heaven. So I've said this before, uh, my, my place that I try to dwell as much as I can, even though I am in the world but not of the world, is in prayer and fasting and worship and meditation um, and speaking in tongues, that is so important. So I want to touch real quick, because I've said this a few times, and I don't know, some, sometimes in Bride, we, we don't go back to some of the foundations, um, just because there's so much that we're building upon. I, I want to share real quickly about speaking in tongues, just to build faith uh, for, for those of you that might be, haven't heard a, a lot of teaching on this. So it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'll be fast on this, but I, I do want to touch a couple of points because it really is essential for building and, and growing your spirit. <clears throat> so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, some things maybe that you haven't heard before, but uh, that's what I want to pick out because that's where the enemy tries to get us not into a place where we should be praying in the spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Right away, I'm going to speak, I'm, I'm going to be reading from the King James, and, and this will help, I think, understand what's going on. First verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, and I say gifts because in the King James, it's italicized, it's italicized, which means King James is telling us they are lying to us. That word does not exist in the manuscripts. It should be now concerning the spiritual, not spiritual gifts, the spiritual. Brethren, I wish that you would not be ignorant. So that's the first thing that I want to mention out of 1 Corinthians. This is not gifts. The gift is the Holy Spirit. And this is regarding the spiritual. So right away, you can start to see a foundation of confusion is placed in teachings because of the interpretation. I'm going to jump ahead now to verse 3. 
Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of Yah calls Yeshua accursed, and that no man that says Yeshua is master, but by the Holy Spirit. He is saying right away, folks, I'm about to tell you about some of the manifestations and operations of Holy Spirit. And if you are able to say Yeshua is king, Yeshua is my master, then the Holy Spirit is, he's saying that's evidence of the Holy Spirit, which totally against, goes against what sometimes some of the Pentecostal churches talk about or the apostolic church, um, ch churches talk about where if you don't speak in tongues, then you are not saved. That's not what Paul's saying at all. Totally different. There's not a salvation issue. He's saying, here's the evidence of the Holy Spirit, verse 3. Now let's move on to something else. Verse 4, there's diversities of gifts, but not the Spirit. He's talking about spiritual things. Now there's different gifts. Now what are the gifts but the same Spirit? They're administered, verse 5, differences of administrations, which is ministry. Gifts of ministry, totally different than what we're about to read, but the same master. There are diversities of operations, but it's the same Elohim, which works all in all. See how he's repeating that? It's the same spirit, same spirit, same spirit. He just ministers or expresses himself differently, and he has different administrations, different functions in the body. That's all he's saying. Verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to everyone to profit. So everyone that is in the body has the Spirit. So I wanted to share one thing. First of all, it's not gifts that's the Holy Spirit. There's one gift, and that's the Holy Spirit. The gifts come through the administration and the ministry and how he manifests our positions in the body. Third point that I want to bring up, and then we'll stop, stop on this topic. Verse 8, really critical. For one is given the Spirit, the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. He keeps emphasizing same Spirit, same Spirit, same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts, plural, of healing by the same Spirit. To another, working of miracles. So you see on and on and on and on and on, this to another, to another, to another. In the Greek, there are two words, completely different words, for another. And in our translation, we just see in English, another. But the two words are, one is quantitative and one is qualitative. Meaning, one is a quantity. There's different quantities. You can have one, you can have five, you can have 10, you can have 25. Qualitative means it's either on or off. On or off, like binary. One or zero, on or off. But it's all the same spirit. So what's interesting about the qualitative, on or off, is if you apply it to a word of knowledge, for example. That makes sense. You're either doing it on or you're not doing it off. The working of miracles, qualitative. You're either doing it or you're not doing it. 
even if you do it once, then the rest of the day, you're not doing it. It's qualitative. So it's on or off. But there's two manifestations and administrations of the spirit that are quantitative, means they're always in levels and measures. The first one that you all probably all know is faith. Because Paul talks about this in Romans. To each person is given a measure, a different level of faith. So we're all operating in faith, those that believe in Christ. Different levels of faith, though. But it's not qualitative where it's on or off. We're always operating in faith because he is the author and finisher of our faith. So he started it, and he which started it will finish the work that he's doing in us. The other quantitative measure is so interesting is tongues. Meaning it's not on and off. It's always there, but in different levels. And some of you, well, I'm not speaking in tongues. Do you have the spirit? Yes. So what happens is the spirit is in you. The spirit is the one that that manifest and speak in tongues in different measures, meaning many different tongues. But it hasn't been made manifest yet. I've seen so many people in my life, my life that are believers that just need to have that manifest through their mouths. But their spirits are in tongues all the time because it is a quantitative measure. It is not. It is not a. Uh, a sign of justification, but it is a sign that people do have the spirit in them and it just has to manifest. So for me, because I'm so in tune now with the spirit and, and speaking in tongues, I have tongues going on in my head all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. And then it's a matter of just letting it manifest through my mouth because I'm, I'm comfortable with that I, I could be speaking in tongues all day long, all day long, all day long. But until you get to that place where you lean into that river and lean into that place, it, there, there might be uh, just things that you have to learn how to let it loose. And it's the same thing with all of these manifestations and administrations. I learned the same thing with uh, interpretation of tongues. I had to learn, even though tongues came really easy for me, I had to learn how to lean into the interpretation and now I can lean into that interpretation. I can interpret every time I hear tongues because it's like a river for me. I just kind of lean into it. It's the same thing with the word of prophecy. For me, it's real easy to lean into that place. So it's a matter of learning how to just flow in the spirit. But I wanted to say that tongues is for everyone. It's actually a quantitative measure. So, so that, that's something. Um, going back to last time, I want to make a couple comments about last time. I was trying to articulate something about the word, and I don't know if I did a good job, so I want to say it a different way. The word, and this is, uh, this is one of those things that's manifesting in me since the advance, Jennifer, so <clears throat> I hope I can articulate it because it's still kind of uh, in me, and I, I, can, I know it's real, and I'm getting a hold of it, but I'm not quite articulating it well. I tried to do it last time. I'm going to try to do it better this time. So the word is Yeshua. The word created us. And I'm going to keep using the word on purpose. So by the word, we were created. 
And we can look at it different ways. He spoke and we existed. Also, Yeshua was our creator. So out of the mouth of the father was the word was out of the mouth of the father was Yeshua. Right. So think about that. So by the word, we are created by the word. We are held together. We get all this from Colossians. Our so now if we're created by the word. And we're held together by the word. Our very substance of God is the word. Which means we are truly one with the word. To our substance. So we think about in our linear mindsets going to dwell with Yeshua or Yeshua coming to dwell with us when in actuality he created our beings in our substance. Our beings in our substance are held together by him. Therefore, he is our essence. He is in us. And we are in him. So we do not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Yah. Here's, here's the jump now. We're on the verge <clears throat> this is what's going to happen. <clears throat> We're on the verge of having the word, which is in our DNA, because our DNA is his substance, held together by him, of him bursting through. He, we're, we're like not just walking temples, because when I think about temples, that's true, that he dwells in us. But our whole beings and essence is him. And it's a matter of the measure of manifesting him. That's why when Stephen was martyred, he looked, his face looked like an angel. He was starting to manifest the word through his face in a greater measure than what we do now. There's going to come a time, though, that we are actually going to manifest him that's already there through us. This is why Satan wants to change our DNA. He's trying to corrupt it so there's less of Yah in us, in our essence, in our held togetherness. So that was kind of a big revelation for me in just another level of that, of that understanding. So I, I hope that was better, a better explanation. Um, number two thing from last time, I mentioned Zionists are squatters. They're squatters in the land, it's our land. The other thing is they don't sow. They have made a, a declaration of not sowing. What do I mean by that? Turn to Jeremiah chapter 35. Who are these squatters? I don't think I got into this last time, so I want to get back and just touch on this. Jeremiah 35. This whole passage is about a group of people called the Rechabites. 
And I'm going to explain who these Rechabites are for those of you that maybe you've not heard this before. So there was uh, this, this group, this family of the lineage of the Rechabites that, that, that Jeremiah went to speak to. Now, Jeremiah is a priest. So he's in a priest during the time of Judah. Israel's already gone. Um, this is also before uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes in. So Jeremiah is a priest and he's looking at these Rechabites. And God tells them to go, go, tells Jeremiah to go speak to him. And he's basically going to uncover a hidden thing for us in this passage. So Jeremiah 35, and I'm going to read verse 7. This is the uh, backup, verse 6. So they said, this is they said to Jeremiah, we will not drink wine for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father. Real important, our father. Not our father is our heavenly father, but they're claiming our father, that's the guy, commanded us saying, you shall drink no wine, neither your sons forever, neither shall you build a house, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyards, nor have any of that stuff, but all your days you shall dwell in tents that you may live many in the land where you are strangers. This group made a declaration that they are not farmers. They don't sow. Right? So keep that in mind. Who are these people? First Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter 2. This, these are the squatters. I'm getting to the point of who are these squatters in our land? who are in geographic Israel today. First Chronicles chapter 2, verse 55. Satan is so sneaky. Buried in First Chronicles chapter 2 in the list of names, and you get to the last verse in chapter 2 of First Chronicles, and it says this in verse 55. And the families of the scribes, I, yai, yai, which means they're part of the priesthood. Scribes were essential in Israel. They were the ones that held the word. And the families of the scribes, which dwelt at Jabez, the uh, Tyrathites, the Shemathites, the Sukathites, these are the Kenites, which is the same as the Canaanites. Cain and Kenan, same thing in the Hebrew. Kenites that came of Hemath, the father of the house of Rechab. So this group that Jeremiah is saying that does not sow it's the same that are part of the Kenites, the Canaanites, that then became scribes. How did they become scribes? Because when Israel walked into the land, crossed the Jordan, and was supposed to take the land, they were supposed to eliminate all the Canaanites. But they didn't. And you can read this throughout the book of, of Joshua, where each tribe took their land, but they didn't drive them all out. And they intermingled with them. We're going to talk a lot about mingling. So they intermingled with them. So now you have Canaanites, Canaanites, 
in the land that are actually, not only in the land, they're scribes. And that's why we read in the very last chapter, uh, very last chapter and last verses of Zechariah that there will no, at that time, there will no more be a Canaanite in the temple. These are the squatters. Second Samuel chapter eight, last, last uh, verse on this, so you can see this. They have infiltrated the house of God. They did then, they do now. Second Samuel chapter eight. <clears throat> Mentioned Hamath. Here's Hamath. Verse 9, 2 Samuel 8, verse 9. When Toy, king of Hamath, ooh, there's Hamath, heard that David had smitten the host of Hadezer, I don't maybe, uh, then Toy sent Jero, uh, Jerome, his, not Jerome, like we have Jerome, Jerem, his son unto King uh, David, to salute him and to bless him because he had fought against Hadezer, I don't know. I'm, bad, I'm really bad at names today. And smitten him for headed <laughs> and the works with toy. And Jerome brought him vessels of the silver and vessels of gold and vessels of brass. So there's the Hamath reference. Now, who is this group of Hamath? Verse 13. Verse, let's back up. Verse 12. Of Syria and Moab and the children of Ammon. I know there's a lot of names, but this is real important because this is going to be the kickoff in Isaiah 63. And of the Philistines, and of Amalek, and the spoil of Hedadezer, so I'm trying a different way, son of Rehob, king of Zobah. And David got him a name when he returned from smiting of the Syrians in the valley of salt, being 18,000 men. And he put garrisons in Edom. See, this is all like Edomite land. He put garrisons in Edom throughout all of Edom. He put garrisons and all they of Edom became David's servants. And Yahuwah preserved David wherever he went. So now we have David with the Edomites. That's part of Hamath. Hamath is tied to the Rechabites who are all Kenites. And they then become the scribes. And now they are mingling and intermingling with Israel. These are this, this is the seed of the fallen angels. They're the squatters and they don't sow. Real important to know. Final study, uh, final pre-thought study. When Yahweh, totally different topic. These are just three topics I, I want to share. Uh, so totally different topic. When Yahweh married Israel at Mount Sinai, they had experienced his miracles in deliverance through Egypt. They had experienced his miracles on the journey from Egypt to Mount Sinai. I mean, think about the parting of the Red Sea and the destruction of Pharaoh's armies. They experienced him coming down as a smoking furnace on the mountain with thunderings and lightnings and earthquakes and arrows. They experienced all of that. But that wasn't enough to keep them faithful. 
it's hard to understand, but it wasn't. It wasn't enough to keep them faithful. Not faithful for like hundreds of years, faithful for like a couple weeks. There was something still in their hearts that they couldn't even be faithful for a couple of weeks, even though they see God the Father come down on Mount Sinai. God uses a different approach with us in this generation. He almost does the opposite, where Yahuwah leads us in a fashion of faith prior to the marriage. Not miracles, faith. Yes, it's a miracle that uh, he has reconciled us. Yes, we see miracles in our lives. This is what I'm getting at, though, by faith. We repent and operate in faith, and it's going to be totally different than what happened back at Mount Sinai. For Yeshua said this in John 20, blessed, he said this to Thomas, blessed are those who haven't seen, but believe. Likewise, Paul said this in Titus, looking for our blessed hope, and glorious appearing of the great Elohim and our Savior, Yeshua Mashiach. See, our, the approach that he's taking with us, which is more lasting, because it's going to last through the millennium, through eternity, is that our faith and our deep-rooted love for him is the receipt of his love through us when we're in a state that is much lower than the angels. Therefore, he's rooting out all of these things in us that we didn't even know we had in the molding and the salvation of our soul, where we're going to say, we say yes on so little evidence compared to what the angelic host did. We say yes on so much little, so further little evidence of what Israel said before Mount Sinai. And it's all because of faith and our deep-rooted love, because we know how much he loves us, because how little we've seen of his glory and how much we know we, we are in need of a savior. So it's a totally different approach. I was just thinking about that this week. Finally, Isaiah 63. We're going to read four verses because I think that's about all we're going to get through today. Four verses. And remember Isaiah 62 a lot of glory, Isaiah 61, a lot of glory. And then all of a sudden, Isaiah just kind of like drops this on us, starting in verse one right away. Who is this that comes from Edom? We talked a little bit about Edom, a little bit. We're going to talk more. With dyed garments from Basra, that is glorious in his apparel traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore are you red in your apparel and your garments like him that treads in the wine vat? So question, 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 verse one and two. Now there's a response in verse three. I have trodden the winepress alone. And of the people, there was none with me. For I will tread them in my anger and trample them in my fury. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments. And I will stain my, all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in my heart. And the year of my redeemed 
as come. Wow, what a contrast in the language from what we've been reading the last couple chapters to now this. I mean, this is really violent. And he's coming from a place in Edom right away. We understand he's coming from Edom and he is dripping in blood. We just, the last verse that we read in Isaiah 62, verse 12, and they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of Yahuwah. You shall be called, sought out a city not forsaken. I mean, it was glory, 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 great, great, great. And then all of a sudden, who's this comes from Edom? <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden Isaiah is transferred into the next part of the story of Zion. What just happened? Who, who's coming from Edom? Why is he dripping in blood? I mean, that's what's happening here. This is really intense. So this is what we're going to get into and keep that in mind <laughs> as we, we dig in. He's coming at this place in verse 4. The day of vengeance is in his heart. This is on his heart. This battle is on his heart. So, let's try to put some context around here. Edom. Isaiah talks about Edom three times in his book. This is one, and there's two other references. And I think we need to take a look at the two other references and help us with some context. Isaiah chapter 11. Why is Isaiah just throwing in Edom? Well, if we think about the Rechabites and the Edomites as squatters, I think we're going to start to get a picture here. Isaiah chapter 11. And there's a, a lot here in Isaiah 11. A lot of times we read verses 1 and 2, and we're just so happy about verses 1 and 2. And the seven spirits of God, we're like, yes, we're done. But no, there's more. Isaiah chapter 11, I'll read verse 3, and I'll pick out a couple verses because this is all in context. It's all in context. The seven spirits of Yah are all in context with the entire chapter of Isaiah 11. Verse 3, after he describes the seven spirits. And shall make him of quick understanding or smell in the fear of Yahuwah, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove the equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. <laughs> Wait, we, we, we usually read, ah, oh, it's the branch of Jesse and the seven spirits of God, and we stop. But this is in the context of judgment and destruction of the wicked. Then there's a transition all at once in verse 6. But it's all the same story here. The wolf shall also dwell with the lamb. 
and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and fatling together and a little child shall lead him. And it goes on describing this more and more. I'll jump to verse nine. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, Zion. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Yah as the waters cover the sea. So what's happening here in verse 11 is you have a declaration of the seven spirits of God and the root of Jesse, who is Yeshua. And now he's about to come and judge the earth violently, kind of like what we're seeing in Isaiah 63. And then there's this transition of after the violent judgment that then we're entering into the millennial kingdom where Zion, his holy mountain, has come and has made itself onto the earth so that heaven and earth are aligned where there is total peace. Even the animals are at peace. The whole earth is filled with the knowledge of him. The whole earth is filled with his glory. This happens after that day of violence. Keep going. Isaiah 11, verse 10. And in that day, means it's all together. In that day, there should be a root of Jesse. So he ties, he's tying the rest of the chapter back to the beginning of the chapter because he's referencing the root of Jesse again after verse one, he said it. Now verse 10, he's saying it. Which shall stand for an ensign or a banner or a flag of the people. To it shall all not Gentiles, nations seek. Nations, all peoples, all nations, all tribes. And his rest shall be glorious. This rest, it's an indication of the millennial Sabbath rest. So now the whole earth is at rest. Well, he just described what the rest of the earth looks like when the wolf lies down with the lamb and the leopard with the kid and the calf and the young and the, and the child shall lead them. That's the rest in the earth. All of creation groans, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. This is what it looks like. Verse 11, and it shall come to pass in that day, just in case you didn't catch it in verse 10, in that day, that Adonai, he's the one that births. He is, it's the, like the, the, one of the most intimate, name, intimate names that we can describe Yahweh, Adonai. And Adonai shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. Ooh, this is the second return into the land. So you don't need to plan on having a ticket to go to geographic Israel because our land is over there and we got to go kick out the squatters. <laughs> He will do it after all of these things. I don't need a ticket. You don't need a ticket. We might not even need be, we may probably are not going to be in airplanes. We're going to be having Yeshua burst through our DNA, get new bodies, and we're going to be there. But that's, that's when it happens. He's going to gather the remnant of people. Jeremiah talks about this in Jeremiah 16. He talks about it in Jeremiah 23. He talks about it in Jeremiah 30. I mean, this is spoken of over and over and over again. That's why the apostles, after his return, said, is now the time that you are going to restore the kingdom of it to Israel? 
That's what this is all about. So that's when the return of the people come back into the land. They're going to come from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shemar and from Hamath and from all the islands of the sea. He's basically saying it's every direction that I can physically see and that I can really relate to as Isaiah, not having a car, not having a big boat, not having an airplane. So as far as the eye can see, you're going to bring all your people back into the land. That's what he's saying. And he's saying some of the lands that are not so good, his people are scattered. They're scattered in Egypt. They're scattered in Assyria. They're scattered in Hamath. We talked about that. That's part of Edom. Verse 12. And he shall set up the sign and banner for the nations. It's interesting that they translate it here, nations, because up in verse 10, they translate it Gentiles, but it's the exact same word, ethnos, in the Greek, or goi in the Hebrew. And shall assemble the outcasts of Israel. All the scattered ones of which we are. And gather together the dispersed of Judah. So you got house of Israel. You got house of Judah. In the last days, it's still important to God. From the four corners of the earth. The envy also of Ephraim who's Israel, us, shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim, Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. So talking about the squatters in, in Edom again, in Zionism, and versus Zion and Zionism. We have been taught in the organized body of Christ to do everything we can to support, quote-unquote, Israel. You see this in commercials all the time. All oh, these people in Israel, we need to get them back to the land. This is a built up envying of Ephraim of Judah. They're causing the body of Messiah, the true remnant, to envy those who are supposed to be of Judah. Meaning, why do they say, oh, the Jews... I know I'm going to step on a lot of toes now. The Jews are the promised people. They're the people of God. You know what that is? Right here. He is trying, Satan is trying to establish Ephraim to be envious of Judah. That's what's happening. Oh, give your money to, to, to Israel. Support Israel at all costs. Ephraim, envy Judah. You're not as worthy, worthy as Judah. That's what's happening. And Isaiah's called it out. And oh, by the way, Judah, don't vex Ephraim. So those of you that are of Judah, and now, now they've twisted it, of course, another twist. It's Ashkenazi or Zionism. Don't vex the, where the birthright is, Ephraim, who is Israel. So all of that gets straightened out finally. And now verse 14. But they shall tread, or they shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines toward the west. So we don't need airplanes. And they shall spoil them of the east together. So he's actually going to bring 
Ezekiel 37, the two sticks, Judah and Israel together. And they shall lay their hand upon Edom and Moab. And the children of Ammon shall obey them. These three people groups are constantly tied together. We read that in uh, the, the, the opening about Edom and the Hamath and the Rechabites and the scribes. And here we are now with Edom again. So that's the second mention in Isaiah of Edom. All of this lead up in Isaiah 11 is part of, and then it leads to the battle Israel and Judah are part of the battle to go against Edom. Hmm. Second, uh, other third mention of Edom in Isaiah. So we got 63, we just read. 11, we just read. Now Isaiah 34. This is a buildup on Edom and who Edom is and why it's so important. Why is Yeshua coming back in blood dipped garments coming from Edom? Isaiah uh, 34. This is the third mention of Edom. Verse 1. Isaiah 34, verse 1. Come near, you nations. Same word, by the way, Goy. To hear and hearken, you people. Let the earth hear. Let the people hear, let the earth hear, because the earth is on call to do now for this. And all that is in, all the plants, all the animals, everything, all the elementals in the earth, listen, everything, listen. And all things that come forth of it. For the indignation of Yahuwah is upon the nations. This is the setting. This is the backdrop. And his fury upon all of their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has delivered them to the slaughter. This is lining up with what we just read in Isaiah 63. And what we were about to read in the remainder of Isaiah 11. Their slain shall also be cast out. And their stink shall come up out of their carcasses. And the mountains shall melt with their blood. Isaiah 34, verse 4. And all the host of heaven shall be dissolved. And the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll. And all their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falls off from the vine. And as a falling fig from the tree. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Edom. Some translations is Edume. It is Edom. Same word. Three times Isaiah uses it. Here is the third. There's a lot going on in Isaiah 34 as well. This is another description of this last day battle. That is in Isaiah 63. So one thing that's kind of different here is verse 4, is you see, I mentioned the second heavens. The second heavens get rolled up, and all the hosts drop like rocks. 
because in the millennial kingdom, Satan is bound. The second heaven is not going to bother us. Our flesh is not going to bother us because we have new immortal flesh. And we will serve Yahuwah in total rest without the chains of the flesh, without the chains of the second heaven, without the chains of Satan and the devices of Satan. That's why the whole earth is at rest. And then he mentions Adam again. Why? Why Edom? All right, so let's have some background on Edom. Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. Who is this Edom? And remember, they mentioned Moab and Ammon. Well, Moab and Ammon, for those of you who probably know this, uh, they were the descendants of Lot. So they were descendants of Lot's daughters, which was uh, through incest, and they were very corrupt nations. Uh, we're about to talk about Edom. It's always been a battle of seed line, and that's why I started off with the DNA. That's why this vaccine thing is such a big deal as well. Because God created our DNA, holds together our DNA, by his word is our DNA, so Satan wants to corrupt our DNA. He tried to corrupt it in Genesis 6. We're going to see there's some corruption here, but it's always this battle of seed lines because Satan is trying to corrupt the word of Yah that is in us. Genesis 25, verse 22. Isaac and Rebekah's kids. And the children struggled together within her, Rebekah. And she said, why is this? Why am I thus? And she went to inquire of Yahuwah. And Yahuwah said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two manners of people. Two manners of people. There are two different people types. And I don't mean ethnic types. These are two types of DNA types. These are going to be really different types. Two manners of people shall be separated from your bowels. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. And we know that then she had Esau and Jacob. I'm going to jump ahead to verse 27. Here is one of the manners of Esau. Genesis 25, verse 27. And the boys grew... And Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. Here's the two manners of people. One is a cunning hunter. Who else was a hunter? Nimrod. Dwelling in tents, dwelling in tabernacles. We are to dwell in tabernacles. So already, even though Jacob doesn't know Yahweh very well yet, he hasn't been, he hasn't gone through the experiences that in his life that are going to turn him into Israel. He still has the manner, the DNA to dwell with Yahweh. 
in the dwelling place. Nimrod, Nimrod, Esau, I'm foreshadowing, Esau has the same DNA manner that makes him a hunter, like a mighty hunter. Make sense? Verse 29. And Jacob made pottage, porridge, soup, probably mash. Probably wasn't very good. And Esau came from the field. Now, they tie field to hunter back in 27. And field is really interesting because it's not like he was working and plowing, like sowing and reaping field. And he was faint. So now we jump ahead, uh, jump to another passage in, 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 um, in Joshua. In the book of Yasher, the background of this, take it to prayer, whatever you want, uh, however you want to kind of pursue this. It's really interesting. The book of Yasher says that Esau comes to Jacob at this time being faint in the field. Well, it wasn't that he was farming. He was actually coming from killing Nimrod. Because Nimrod also lived at that time. So he kills Nimrod, is exhausted, and then comes to Jacob. Now, who's Nimrod? Nimrod had become, he transformed, his DNA transformed into a Gabor. He became a giant. He became some mighty hunter of souls. He was transformed. His DNA was transformed. He is a mighty individual on the earth. Esau is exhausted from killing him and comes to Jacob, the plain guy, the mama's boy, who dwells in tents. And he trades, and we keep reading this, he trades, verse 31. I'll back up to verse 30, just so you know, Esau and Edom. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray you, with the same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore, his name was called Edom. So Esau is Edom, Edom, one, two, just in case you didn't know, there's the definition. And Jacob said, here's Jacob, the deal maker, sell me this day your birthright. Now, what's the birthright? It's the blessing from Abraham to Isaac. And Isaac was going to give it to Esau because he was going to be, he was the firstborn. And the birthright carried all of the privileges of the blessings. By the way, the birthright also carries with it at that time, the priesthood. That's why Joseph received the multicolor coat from Jacob because he was the firstborn. He was the firstborn of Rachel. That's why he was his favorite. So he gets the priestly garment of the multicolored coat. That's why they hated him is because he had the birthright. That's why his brothers hated Joseph. So here, Jacob's like, "Eh, you know, I should have been first, but I couldn't get out first. Esau is first. He gets the birthright. He gets the priesthood. He gets all the blessings. Esau, give it to me. You are so, now Esau just wasn't hungry. He was exhausted. He was near death after fighting Nimrod. So he says, give me your birthright. Now, I think, this is Todd talking, this is Todd talking, this is not scripture. I wonder 
if Esau was okay giving up that birthright because he was making a choice of which birthright he was going to keep. What do you mean, which birthright? Dan talked about this the other uh, a couple Sundays ago about Nimrod taking over the mantle or sitting on the throne of Babylon. God wants to manifest Zion onto the earth. Satan wants to manifest Babylon onto the earth. Two kingdoms of the spirit competing to manifest onto the earth. That's why in the Revelation, we have Babylon and the city of Babylon. That's why we have the harlot, the false bride. We have the false city, false bride, false throne. So Nimrod figures it out, says, I am going to create cities. I'm going to create the city of Babylon. I am going to make a tower that opens up a portal into the heavens, and I'm going to fight against God, and I am going to sit on the throne of the earth and the heavens. It, he was the first really manifestation in full of Isaiah chapter 14, where Satan declares this. So Nimrod wants a throne in the heavens, and he wants a throne in the earth. And Esau just takes him out. I think Esau just took, usurped the birthright of Babylon, usurped the throne of Babylon from Nimrod. And here comes Esau back to Jacob. And in mercy, God says, Esau, get rid of what you just took. Get rid of what you just invested in. Keep the birthright of Abraham and Isaac. But he doesn't. Jacob takes that. And Esau still has a birthright, but now it's a birthright from Nimrod. Now it is a throne from Nimrod. And it's Babylon. That's why the scripture repeatedly says, I love Jacob. And I hated Esau. It's like, wow, God, why do you hate this individual? Because he is the one who takes over the birthright of Nimrod, the birthright of Babylon. The priesthood, the throne, the, 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 the manner of which he wants to sit on the throne of heaven and on the throne of earth. This is Esau. So Esau is despised. And it's mentioned over and over again in scripture. Um, kind of fast forward a little bit more about Esau. Uh, who did Esau marry? Genesis 26. Because we can, we're going to start to see now how this is all kind of gets infiltrated a little bit. So Genesis chapter 26, verse 34. And Esau, so now keep in mind where he is spiritually. And Esau was 40 years old when he took wife Judith, the daughter of Biri, the Hittite. And Bashemeth, 
the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. Now, Isaac and Rebekah told Jacob and Esau, do not marry the Canaanites. Marry the descendants of Abraham. Marry the descendants of Shem. So verse 35, which were a grief of the mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. So Esau starts intermingling with the Hittites. Genesis 28, verse 8. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau to Ishmael and took the wives which had Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebijoth, to be his wife. So now Esau intermingles with Ishmael, the child of bondage. Not from the children of promise, Isaac, the, child, the children of bondage. So we got that mixing going on. He still had a little bit in him to try to please his father. Say, hey, I'm not going to marry the Canaanites. I'll marry the Hittites. Now I'm going to marry the Ishmaelites. That's Genesis 28, verses 8 and 9. It keeps going. Genesis 36. Genesis 36. Esau's not done. Verse 2. Genesis 36, verse 2. And Esau took his wives of the daughters of Canaan. And then lists them. So Esau is now fully, not only has he usurped Nimrod, he's taken that birthright. He's turned down the birthright of God. He now has intermingled with the Hittites, intermingled with the Ishmaelites, sons of bondage, and intermingled with the Canaanites. Keep all of that in mind when Yeshua goes right to Edom in the last day of battles. I'll, I'll, I'll jump ahead. and So, so I, I mentioned a passage, but I, I want you guys to see this. Zechariah. Zechariah 14, verse 21. Very last verse in Zechariah. Zechariah 14, 21. So this is all after the events of the last days in that day. And it's like two, three full chapters that Zechariah is getting into. And the very last verse of his message is this. Yes, every part, this is in the millennial kingdom. Yes, Every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto Yahuwah of hosts, Yahuwah Sabaoth. So everything now has changed because Judah and, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem that are in the land today, they don't know Yahuwah. So now everyone that's remaining, they know Yahuwah. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and seed therein means that's the, sac the, the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving and offerings and, and first fruits and all of these things are, are, are going to take place in Jerusalem um, because Yahweh will be there and the whole earth has changed. And listen to this. And in that day, 
there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of Yahweh Sabaoth. Because the Canaanite is in the land, they're squatting in the land, the Canaanite has infiltrated the house of God as priests and as scribes, they have infiltrated because of what we see here, for example, in Esau. Esau is the main culprit, and that's why Edom is talked about over and over and over again in Scripture about the end times prophecy. It is a repeated theme over and over and over again. Obadiah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Zechariah, Daniel, Edom, 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 Edom. That's where it's coming from. Um, Genesis 36. One more thing on Edom, and then we'll stop. Genesis 36. There is a listing of, of Esau's kids. And the definition of, of names is always very revealing. The names tell the story of the character of that person. And I just want to point out a couple of names here of <laughs> the character of some of his kids. Uh, let's see, Jalem, where's Jalem? Jalem is in here, and Jalem, Jalem, Jalem. He's got a lot of kids. This whole chapter, ah, oh, here we go, verse 18. So these are the sons of um, Aholibama, Esau's wife, Duke Jeshu, Duke Jalem. Uh, Jalem, by definition, means occult, veiled from sight. Uh, Korah, there's also a Korah in here, means an unholy priest, one who cuts himself. Uh, Jehush means hasty, someone who gives up birthrights, basically. I mean, the names here are just awful. Awful, awful, awful. So it's all infiltrated in there. I'm going to stop. That's the background on Edom. Um, we could go into more. Uh, it's all over. Psalm 60 is another great passage. On uh, Psalm 60 is all about the same end time battle, and it ties into Edom again. But there's just so much. I hope you guys get a feel of why Edom is so important in the last days is because of what has been done in terms of infiltrating the body of Christ, infiltrating the priesthood, infiltrating birthrights, infiltrating thrones, kingdom, and it's all this mixing. And that's maybe the next thing that I want to share with you guys, intermingling a little bit. <clears throat> so it's a mix. This is really a mix. Um, back to Isaiah. <clears throat> back to Isaiah. Who is this that comes from Eden with dyed garments from Basra? Basra, by the way, is a city in Edom. So it's a, he's actually specifying where he's coming from. Uh, the glorious apparel, traveling in greatness of his strength, that I speak in righteousness, mighty to save. I do want to pick out this word apparel, which is kind of interesting. First mention, Genesis 49. So he comes in glorious apparel. Who is this that comes from Edom, from Basra? Glorious apparel. 
Genesis 49, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. So these are the blessings of Jacob upon his sons. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet. Until Shiloh, the, the, the man of peace, the man of peace comes. And this tran- the rest of this translation is really confusing because they don't translate it well. But it really, it's, unto him shall be the gathering of his people. And King, King James, it actually means, and, and he comes to the obedient people. That's what that actually means. To those that have become obedient, have manifested and manifested this kingdom nature in them where they are the remnant, then Yeshua comes. Binding his fold unto the vine, his ass's colt to the choice vine, there's a lot of symbolic, uh, symbolism in here. We're not going to get into that, but it's also talking about Joseph. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. That is the tie to these uh, garments of apparel that are dripping in blood. So he's saying even back in here in Genesis 49 verse 10 is when he returns to the obedient people, his garments are actually going to be washed in blood. And this is prophetically declared in Genesis 49, verse 11. So back to Isaiah. Back to Isaiah. Um, I'm thinking about what we do with the rest of our time. I want to spend time in verse 4. So we're going to spend time in verse 4. For the day of vengeance is my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. Isaiah 63, verse 4. Yeshua's return is tied to the year of his redeemed. So when we talk about Isaiah 61, verse 2, and the acceptable years of Yahuwah, and the day of vengeance, the day of vengeance and the year of his redeemed go hand in hand. Redemption and vengeance. It doesn't feel right almost. But redemption and vengeance go together. Jeremiah chapter 50. This is another passage that... um, it's It's a long passage... Uh, but this is another passage that parallels what we're reading here in Isaiah 50, 63. So just a couple of things to, to point out. Um, verse 2. Declare you among the nations. Publish and set up a standard. There's that banner thing again. And conceal not. Say, Babylon is taken. Bel is confounded. Merodach is broken into pieces. Her idols are confounded. Babylon. Babylon, think Edom. City of Babylon, anti-city of Zion. Harlot, Revelation, anti-bride, us. So Babylon gets taken down. Edom, he comes back from battling Edom. It's all tied together. 
For out of the north there comes up a nation against her. This is verse 3 of Jeremiah 50. Which shall make her land desolate, and none shall dwell therein. And they shall remove, they shall depart, both man and beast. And here we go again. In those days. That phrase you see over and over again. You know these are last time, last time prophecies. And in that time, says Yahuwah, the children of Israel shall come, us, they and the children of Judah together, going and weeping. They shall go and seek Yahuwah, their Elohim. They shall ask the way to Zion and their faces there, that way saying, come, let us join ourselves to Yahuwah in a perpetual covenant that shall never be broken. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have, lost, have caused them to go astray, and they have turned them away, to, uh, away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. All found them have devoured them, Edom, Babylon, all those. And their adversaries have said, we offend not because they have sinned against Yahuwah. That's Satan. That's Satan's accusation. Everyone has gone astray, Yahuwah, so therefore I can come against them. The habitation of justice, even Yahuwah, the hope of her fathers, remove out of the midst of Babylon. So it goes on and on and on. This is last day's stuff. It keeps going and talks about Babylon, how he's going to annihilate them. This is the same as Isaiah 63. So this helps us understand what's happening in Revelation. So I started to dive into this place. God, show me more about this tie to the day of vengeance and vengeance being in your heart and also the day of your redeemed. Because I see here in, in Jeremiah 50 that we just read that when Israel and Judah, all your remnant come together and they see what's going on and they're participating in all of this and they see what's going on, that they're weeping. But it's the time for the redeemed that should be glorious. But it's also the day of vengeance and vengeance is in his heart. And as I started to press into this a couple times over the last couple of weeks, I just started to weep. And I start to see, <laughs> I start to see how God's people are scattered. They are so scattered that they've been infiltrated and mingled with the Edomites, who are the true descendants of Babylon and part of the city of Babylon. And that they are confused and that they don't know what's going on. And God in his absolute compassion and his mercy is waiting for the very last moment to expose evil, to make evil, evil and good, good. So it's really separated and it's no more confusion. There's no more mingling of words that the, the most of the lost sheep will come forth and choose him. Going back to the time of Nimrod, I mean, going to back to the time of Esau, Esau, God still extended mercy to Esau. Esau, even though you've done this with Nimrod, even though you've, you've taken his throne, you stripped his throne, you grabbed his birthright, please don't give up your birthright. I give you another chance. And he still refused. That is the compassion and the mercy of God, even during the day of his vengeance.
And as I started to press into this, God said, you can't go any further right now because it would crush you. For those of us that are crying out for judgment and we're crying out for vengeance upon our enemies, yes, you take out the enemies in the spirit with full vengeance. But the enemies that are also human, humanity, our, our, our family, our, I don't say bride family. I don't mean, I mean the family of humanity, the family of Adam and Eve. When we take out vengeance on them, God is weeping as he's taking out vengeance upon them. Even in these last days, when he comes and his garments are dripping with blood, he is weeping, executing vengeance. He has held back vengeance for so long because he wants so many to come right and to know him and to repent. It is a, a, a time of absolute weeping as vengeance is executed. And when you start pressing into that kind of judgment, it's going to crush you. It's going to break your heart until we get to that place. To me, over and over again, this ties back to Revelation 19, that true and righteous are your judgments, O Yah, because we've participated and we finally got to the place where we can operate in our mercy and our compassion at the same time our holiness, because our holiness is not into the place where we love his holiness so much and we love with compassion his people so much, then we can operate in both together. So he holds off his judgment and his vengeance until the very last day. Here's the intermingling. Psalm 106. This is how, how deep Satan's plan is and how much God wants to undo it. Psalm 106, verse 35. There's this word that comes up over and over again. <clears throat> In the Hebrew, Psalm 106, verse 35, kind of going through a whole history of different things of Israel, says, but we, we, we were being, uh, back up. Verse 34, Psalm 106, verse 34. So they, now that's referring to Joshua and Israel when they went into the land, they were supposed to annihilate the inhabitants of Canaan. They did not. So Psalm 106, verse 34. They did not destroy the nations, the Canaanite nations, concerning whom Yahuwah commanded them, but were mingled among the nations and learned their works, and they served their idols, which were a snare to them. Yes, they sacrificed their sons and daughters, abortion, unto devils. They mingled in. Ezra chapter 9. Ezra chapter 9. So Judah goes into captivity in Babylon, and after many years of captivity, they come back into the land and they, they start to come. Nehemiah leads them in, Ezra comes in, and they are bringing 
uh, a lot of mixing because they were in Babylon. And there was a lot of mixing of the, uh, the, the Babylonians and the Babylonians had conquered many lands. So they brought in different people groups. So here in Ezra chapter nine, verse two, I'll back up verse one, is Ezra chapter nine, verse one. Now, when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites, by the way, now they're Rechabites in there, which means there are Canaanites in the priests have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands. Separating yourself is a holy. It's a holy thing. It's why we are to marry with equality in terms of our beliefs. Ezra chapter 9 verse 1. They have not separated themselves from the people of the lands according to their abominations. Even the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons so that the holy seed has mingled themselves with the people of these lands. Yes, the hand of the princes and rulers has been chief in this trespass. The leaders did this. They were part of it. Daniel chapter 2. Now this might make more sense. Nebuchadnezzar's vision. All of this ties back to Yeshua coming from Edom. Daniel chapter 2, we know about the statue, the head of gold, and it goes all the way down to the feet mixed with clay and iron. Daniel chapter 2, verse 43. And whereas you saw iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. What? Wait a minute. I thought we were talking about an image. I thought we were talking about kingdoms. Iron and clay. What does that have to do with mingling? Who's mingling with the seed of men? But they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. I... It goes back to Edom. It goes back to Esau. It goes back to Nimrod. It goes back to Genesis 6. It's the Canaanites. It's the Kenites. It's the Rechabites. It's all these people groups that we set up. They have infiltrated the body of Christ. They have mingled themselves with humanity, with their DNA. And that is the feat. That's the last kingdom. That's the manifestation of Babylon onto the earth. That is what we're seeing today. Satan's kingdom is being exposed in the, in, right in the midst of our eyes. And it is with a mingled people. That's why oh, it goes back to the vaccine. That's why they want to change our DNA. They want to mingle. Mingling is bad, very bad. <laughs> Don't want to mingle. And I'm not saying mingle ethnic groups. That has nothing to do with it. It's mixing 
humanity and non-humanity. It has nothing to do with mixing economic social class. It's mingling humanity and Satan's seed. It's always been a seed line battle, just like it's always been a battle between Babylon and Zion. And the people groups that make them up, they're two manners of people. One manner hunts souls. Another one wants to dwell with Yah in a tense. Totally different. Yes, Patricia, they, God talks about mingling and, 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 uh, and not mingling all the time. Don't mix linen and wool. Don't mix holy and unholy. Don't mix the clean beast and the, unholy, and the unclean beast over and over and over again. Yes, and the machines are also part of that too. That's part of the mingling. It's all part of the mingling. Don't mix it. So what happens? Verse 45 I'm still in Daniel, verse 45. For as much as you saw the stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, Zion, <laughs> right here in Daniel, and that is broke and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great Elohim has made it known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain in the interpretation for sure. Yahuwah takes a stone out of Zion. It is a, a, a beautiful stone out of Zion. And he takes it and destroys the kingdom of Babylon in the last days that is a mingled city. This stone, now think about this going back to Isaiah 62, because Isaiah and Daniel are seeing the same things, different, different angles, different pieces. The stone in Isaiah 62 is a royal diadem. In his hand. Isaiah 62 finished by the holy people. A holy city. Zion. And then immediately he comes to, who's this coming from Edom? I believe God takes us as a stone from Zion. And we through his judgment, the day of vengeance, in weeping and mourning, come and destroy the mingled nation, which is Babylon. I think that's what's happening. We're the holy people coming against the mingled people. We are the city of Zion coming against the city of Babylon in the last days. This is the last kingdom. Now, there is a place for proper mingling. Exodus 29. It's very different though, but it's now it's beautiful because we see this, we see this all over the place in, in, in Bride, amongst us in Bride. Exodus 29. <clears throat> Verse 40. These are the sacrifices. Exodus 29, verse 40. And with the one lamb. I love that. And with the lamb. So we mingle with the lamb. 
a tenth of flour, keep in mind flour, mingled with a fourth part of beaten oil, oil, and a fourth part wine. So we got the lamb, flour, oil, and wine all mingled together. In our study in Joel, we saw corn, wine, and oil. I'll start with the easy one. Oil is representative of the spirit. Another easy one. Wine um, is tied to the soul, for the goodness of the soul, the drops of dew from the new wine. Flour and corn, a little different. The corn in Joel refers to the body. It's the substance of the body. So when Joel is talking about the corn and the wine and the oil have been um, destroyed and have been abused and are, are lacking, he's talking about our bodies, our souls, and our spirits have all been uh, under siege and under attack. But here in Exodus, verse 29, verse 40, instead of corn, it's flour. And flour is this really fine substance ground into absolute powder because it's almost like uh, airy compared to kernels of corn. I believe that this is representative of the new bodies. So you have flour and wine and oil mixed with the lamb. And in Revelation, the lamb is the predominant description of Yeshua. One time he's mentioned as the lion. I think, I may be wrong. I don't remember this exactly. I think it's 26 times he's mentioned as the lamb of God. So true mingling is when our bodies, our souls, and our spirits are mingled and mingled with the lamb. We become one. We are one spirit, soul, and body, and we are one with the lamb. That's true mingling. This other mingling is not good. Yeshua is going to unmingle. He's going to separate the sheep and the goats. But it's not what we think. And this is where we have to have compassion in these days. We have to have compassion today. It's not what we think. It's not like he's going to separate out Republicans and Democrats. He's not going to sep out, separate out those that are for Trump and those that are against Trump. He's not going to separate out the United States from all the other nations. He's not going to separate out races. He's not going to separate out religions. He's going to separate out the circumcision of the heart and the uncircumcised of the heart. Because it's by the Spirit you can say Yeshua is king. Going back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This requires a surgeon's knife to unmingle. He can't come down with a hammer. We can't come down with explosives. We can't come down with bombs. This is a surgeon's knife to unmingle the things of the heart. That's why we have to have compassion in these days. When we go into prayer, and I, <clears throat> 
I was in prayer with uh, Dan and a couple of others this week. And this is Todd speaking. I'm going to go ahead, Todd speaking. I'm going to lean into this. I believe we are in the process of seeing a mortal wound blow to Babylon. Babylon in, in the book of Revelation says it has risen from a mortal wound. This is not the last days. We are not in the last days of Revelation where he is going to wipe out Babylon and right at, we're right on the edge of Satan being locked up for a thousand years. I actually think we're in a pre-stage where we're, we are delivering a mortal wound to Babylon that is actually going to weaken it for a period of time where we're going to rise forth in glory in the latter, in the latter reign and preach the gospel throughout the nations. And then Babylon's going to rise up again for the last times. So we prayed for a death blow to Babylon, but it didn't come forth until love and compassion was moved in in the spirit. And it's because in his heart of vengeance is great compassion and love because he has to operate with the surgeon's knife to separate out, to unmingle the circumcised of heart and the uncircumcised of heart. There's going to be people that actually are mingled in the seed that he's actually going to circumcise their hearts and move them over to the kingdom of God. There's people that are truly the seed of mankind that are not mingled, but yet they are so confused and are so tied into the birthrights of Babylon that he has to, with a surgeon knife, separate out that and circumcise their hearts. It's not going to look like we think. That's why we have to go into these battles in, the, in warfare right now with compassion and love. Because it comes from the place of circumcising the heart. And that's why repeatedly he says, do not judge outward by, by outward appearance, but judge by the heart. It's going to be one big multicolored coat of many colors. And it's going to look strange to some of you that already have preconceptions. I've just thrown my preconceptions out. I think it's going to... <laughs> It's going to be amazing. It's going to be really different. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be all those with a circumcised heart. So that's Isaiah, that's Isaiah 63, the first four verses. And um, that, that verse four, uh, I really encourage you guys to lean into that. Lean into that place where vengeance is in his heart. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you that you took a surgeon's knife to our hearts and circumcised them. That you couldn't, didn't come down with a hammer. You didn't execute vengeance on us before our hearts were circumcised. But you are patient, 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 waiting for the very right moment when our souls finally cry out for repentance and saying yes. So may we have that same heart of vengeance now that is mingled properly in a holy manner with your mercy and your love. 
that we are positioning ourselves to receive those that repent. We are positioning ourselves to preach the good news uh, that the kingdom of heaven is here. We thank you for the shaking of the tree in this earth, that you are shaking all the unripe figs down. And you are preparing the earth for your latter rain. We thank you that you have sent forth the spirit of Elijah in a double portion, preparing people to repent. That you are about to have a showdown and expose the priests of Baal. You are about to consume the sacrifice. And the day of slaughter is near. May we be ready to speak to all of your people, Israel, and say, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Father, prepare our hearts that you would manifest yourself through our DNA like never before. We thank you for fellowship within bride. We thank you for fellowship with you. For we know that it is an eternal covenant that you have made between the Father and the Son and have given us that as a promise. So we are blessed to say, yes, we receive the covenants of promise this day. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. You've just listened to Todd Talks here at Bride Ministries International. Be sure to visit our website at bridemovement.com. You can support us by leaving a donation. You can also check out our other offerings, such as our church. You can check out our institute. We offer prayer resources and, of course, so much more. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.